Oh, Father, we come before you and we come wholly and fully trusting in Christ and him alone. It is not of us, not of anything that we do. We're not enough, but Christ is. And we see that day by day. We see that hour by hour. We see it as we live our lives, as we talk with others, as we go to work. Day by day, we come before you and we say that, Lord, it is only Christ. Christ, you are our all. And aside from you, we have no hope. And so we come with hope this morning. And that hope is a hope that is sure and will never be moved. And we thank you for this precious gospel. We thank you for our precious Savior. And so we come confessing our need. And it's always Christ. And so as we come this morning, may we come not neglecting such a great salvation. May you help us, Lord, to see that those who truly know Christ are changed. Their lives are changed. Everything is changed. A heart that was once not beating is now beating. And you did that, O oh Lord, by your grace. And so may we now live by the power of the Spirit of God. And so help us, Lord, we pray in every area of our lives. You know all our needs this morning, and we lay them down before you, recognizing you have made us for yourself. And so may we submit wholly and fully to you and to your word, not to the philosophies and ideas and ways of our day, but may we bow our lives before you and your word. And so help us, Father, today. May you help by your spirit your spirit would illuminate your word and making it plain before us this morning. May you move and work in our hearts and our lives for your glory, even as we walk through a challenging passage. Be with us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, go ahead and turn with me to the letter of James. And we'll be in James chapter 2, verses 20 through 26 this morning as we continue our walk and our study through this letter of James. Now before we read those verses, let me read a few other verses as well. So 1 John 2, 3 through 6 says this, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same manner in which he walked. Luke 6 
43 through 44. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. Mark 4 verse 20. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. Romans six twelve through fourteen. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. Galatians 6.8 For the one who sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now with each one of these passages, we hear from five different places in Scripture a truth. And as you see, in all those passages that I just read, it's set before us again and again. It's no surprise as I read those verses. You're not going, wait a minute. I didn't know those verses were there. (laughs) There's no shock to our systems as we read those verses. And so what truth is that? What truth is arising from these? What's the very truth that James is getting at this morning? And it's this. Those who know Christ live for Christ. They walk in the same way as He walked. Their tree bears good fruit. They are instruments of righteousness. By faith, They go out and they sow to the Spirit of God. Those who have real faith produce real works. And so we need to see this now at the beginning of this sermon. Because we've come to a passage that has long challenged many. And rather than being a passage that would cause you to stumble this morning in your walk with Christ, may they not do that for you. But instead, may they indeed awaken and kindle in you a flame that would arise and let your life burn brightly the flames of God's immeasurable grace and the flames of a life that are absolutely transformed 
in being transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. May that be our response this morning. May that be what God's word does for us this morning. And so to see all this, let's read then these verses here. Gladly submitting to the inspired words of a living God. And so for the sake of context, I'll begin with verse 18. May God bless the reading of his word. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works. And I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, at various times throughout church history, these verses that I just read for you have had something of an explosive impact upon its hearers. (laughs) And so hovering over these verses is a question. And the question is this. What about justification By faith alone. Well, I've given you something of a preview of the answer of that question in the verses that I quoted from a moment ago. Now, we'll return to that question here in a moment and very directly, but for now, see what James has already made very clear. So, in verses 14 through 19, he's made it plain. That faith without works is dead. He says exactly that in verse 17, doesn't he? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And as he sets that point before us, he encounters this person in verse 18. Now whether it's a real person that actually came up to him at some point or an imagined one, doesn't matter, but they come up to him, and this person would like it a great deal if James just went on and left him alone. (laughs) Stop talking about all this stuff and faith and works, James. 
You have your faith. I have my works. Move along. And so James answers this person. And James, he gives a further answer here in our verses this morning. And so asking in verse 20 then, do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? So in order to show this and to answer this objector, he gives two examples here. So I'll spend the majority of this morning looking at the first example because it's with this one that we see the brunt of James's point. And so the first example is Abraham. Abraham. Now before we look at Abraham, look again at James's question there in verse 20. Now if we're concerned about how serious James might be about all of this, about his talk, about faith and works... Wow, you'd have to make a case to say that he's not serious. (laughs) Because he does not mince words at all here, does he? He says, those who think that they have real faith apart from real works are fools. He says that directly there in verse 20. And he sees the disconnection of faith from works as foolishness. Why? Because it flies in the very face of the gospel itself, of what the gospel does in someone's life and heart. Because faith without works is useless. It's like a bicycle without wheels. I mean, that's, that's useless, right? I mean, what are you going to do with it? Just look at it? <laughs> I mean, that's not what it's for. You need to have wheels on that bike. Otherwise, it's good for nothing. So in contrast to a useless faith, he goes and he points directly to Abraham's real faith in verses 21 through 24. So in order to show this, he points to Genesis 22 that Megan read a moment ago. However, as he does that, he does something that is different from what we normally see within the New Testament letters. He reverses the order. He reverses the order from the way that Paul illustrates Abraham's faith in Romans chapter 4. Where he sets forth faith first. And then from that faith, he goes and lives. James reverses it here. He gives Genesis 22, what Megan read a moment ago, Abraham and Isaac. And then he quotes Genesis 22. 15.6, it was counted to him as righteousness. So he points specifically to what Abraham did. And what did Abraham do? Well, we just saw what Abraham did in Genesis 22. He offered up his son, Isaac. And so as Megan read, what did God do? He came to Abraham, and he told him to offer up his one and only son. Now, as many others have said, that is 
a hard thing to fathom on its own. <laughs> How would you like it if God came to you and said, offer up your one and only son? Well, Abraham hears this. And as Dennis said as well, by faith, he hears God's word and he goes to do it. Just as God tells him to do. And so he goes and sets about to do it. And as he was about to bring down death upon his own son, the angel of the Lord comes and tells him essentially, stop, you know. Don't do it, Abraham. And he says in verse 12 of Genesis 22, for now I know that you fear God. Seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And so in light of that, Genesis 22, at this, James, he asks here, and I'll just read it because it's important in verse 21. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? And what's the obvious answer? Well, it's a rhetorical question. And these have built within them obvious answers. And so his answer is, yes, he was. No question. And so after saying this, he writes that the scripture was fulfilled. The scripture was fulfilled. So what scripture? Well, the scripture I just mentioned a moment ago, Genesis 15, 6, which, as you know, comes before 22. <laughs> so Genesis 15, 6 says specifically, and he believed the Lord and God, he counted it to him as righteousness. And so you see how James reverses the way we normally think of these passages. We would likely emphasize, if we were doing this, that he was counted righteous by faith, and then flowing from that faith, works. He offered up Isaac. Yet, by James doing it this way, he's making his point all the more clear and all the more emphatic. He does not want you to miss this at all. He is emphasizing See Abraham's faith by his works. Hence he writes in verse 22, You see that faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. And so Genesis 15, 6 was fulfilled in Abraham's living out of that faith, and thus he was called a friend of God. In verse 23. And so Abraham's works, they completed, they showed, or sh they showed, they evidenced his real faith. So in other words, his real faith was evidenced by real works. So verse 22 and verse 24. 
So he wasn't just saying that he believed. He actually did believe. And wow, how many people today are being confronted by this passage? They are going everywhere just saying with the loudest voice they can say it with, I believe in Jesus Christ. And yet James's charge comes wholly and fully against them from God against their life. Abraham was not just saying he believed. He actually did believe. He did not have a demonic faith. Remember verse 19? You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe. And shudder. That's not the kind of faith Abraham has here. That's only intellectual. It's only in your head. Kind of faith that's not real. Now I know. At this point. And we really haven't even gotten to the hardest stuff yet. (laughs) I know at this point. You might be overwhelmed. You know back and forth. Come on, preacher, you're being awfully intricate here. Well, James is being intricate here, isn't he? He's not saying, you know, put a pause on thinking for a moment while I tell you a few things. He wants you to think about this. And so we have this back and forth here. Abraham, James, Isaac, works, faith, righteousness. And so you see how challenging this passage becomes and is. And we're, we're right to admit these verses require much of us. And you're not just simply reading them like, those aren't big issues. Justification by faith alone. That's a big issue. <laughs> I mean, that's a big deal. That's as in you could lose the gospel if you don't hold the justification by faith alone, in Christ alone, by grace alone. And so these verses require much of us. They require that we are paying attention this morning to what James is saying in the Word of God. That we are paying attention to what God is saying in His Word this morning. And so let me say this, on this day, the Lord's Day, as we gather together, may it be that not just this Sunday, but every Sunday, we don't just come here just to coast Mere routine. Turn my brain off. Just tell me something, preacher. Entertain me, please. Well, mere routine is not to drive our boats, believers. Our life belongs to Jesus Christ. Heart, mind, soul, everything to the glory of God. Don't just move my emotions, and I don't know why. Remember last week? Understanding, affections, life. Move all that to the glory of God. So may we not just say it's just another Sunday, but instead, rather, may we long to get in the Word of God. May we long to study 
the word of God, to know the word of God. And as we look at all this, we say, yes, give me the word. Give me the hard things. Let's talk very carefully and very intricately about this passage because we need to. And so let God's word challenge you. Let it face you down and let it make you deal with it and aim yourself towards understanding it and aim to get it into your heart and life this morning. So in this light then, we need to address that big question, don't we? (laughs) Does James contradict Paul? Does James contradict justification by faith alone in Christ alone? And part of the waves that these verses have made are directly related to that question. Now Martin Luther eventually came to a different conclusion, but that is why he said that why don't we throw Jimmy in the oven? (laughs) He was wrestling over these verses. Jimmy as in James. And so these indeed have made waves. And so let me give my answer and then I'll explain my answer. So by no means. So the question is, does James contradict Paul? Answer, By no means, James does not contradict Paul. But why would some think James contradicts Paul here? Well, let me read two verses that get at the crux of the issue. Verse 24 here. James, he says, you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Now, I would imagine that for those who are faithful, Bible-believing Christians, if a preacher said that on any Sunday morning, you would lift your eyebrows, (laughs) right? But this is God's word saying this. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And then here's the other side, Romans, Paul Romans 3.28. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Now you maybe see it even more. (laughs) Why people are like, what? What's going on here in James? Justified by works. Justified by faith. Which is it? Now on its surface, it appears to be a problem. But as with every alleged contradiction, which as a believer of many years now, I can say, as you dive into the Word and people bring up all these things, oh, this contradicts this and this contradicts this, I have not found one contradiction yet in Scripture. And so it is here also. As with every alleged contradiction, people level against Scripture upon further investigation. There turns out to be no contradiction at all, which is true here. You see, Paul and James are doing two different things. Paul, he is addressing something called legalism. Legalism. 
where people try him. And he goes, we could talk about this all day, but he's addressing all varieties of levels regarding that. People trying to obey the law to be right with God, that if I just keep the law and I do it, then maybe God will accept me and I will be saved. Well, James or Paul's answer to that is absolutely not. Nothing you do saves you. Not one lick of anything you do can save you. It's only Christ and Him alone. And so legalism, it's the lie that you can earn or gain favor with God by what you do. So Paul is addressing that. While James is addressing something else, he's addressing something called antinomianism. Say that five times. Antinomianism means no law. And basically here, it's someone who says, I have faith, and it doesn't matter whatsoever what I do. I can live any way I want. I can go drink. I can, I can come forward in an altar call, and I can say, you know what? I know Christ now, and I now have for the rest of my life have nothing whatsoever to do with Jesus Christ. And James is addressing that person. So antinomianism is another lie that says what you do doesn't matter so long as you have faith. And so both of those are massive lies that many are leaning on even right now. They're banking their hopes on hopeless hopes. They, are, they did come forward on an altar call with a legalistic heart and they're banking on the altar call. They're saying, I came forward. That's why I'm saved. No, you're not. I prayed a prayer. That's why I'm saved. No, you're not. That's not what saves you. It's only Christ and Him alone. There's Paul. And the other side is what I said a moment ago. A person who comes forward and says they know Him. And they go and live in every possible way, unlike Jesus Christ. So legalism will not save you, nor do you rightly understand the gospel if you think that a fruitless faith can save you either. In fact, if Paul were standing here, he would have no problem whatsoever with what James is saying here in these verses. And we saw that partially already this morning. Where do we see that? We saw in the opening verses that I read a moment ago from Romans chapter 6, which ironically, what was Paul addressing there? Antinomianism. In Romans 6, don't give your lives to slaves to sin, but may you be slaves of righteousness. There it is. So Romans 6, 12 through 14, and Galatians 6, 8. Yet we see it in other places as well in Paul's writing. And now I'm not going to spend all morning walking through all those places. But let me just reference for you three simple words that Paul uses in Romans. In Romans chapter 1, verse 5. In Romans chapter 16, verse 26. 
and reflect this. Just three words. Obedience of faith. Obedience of faith. And there it is. There's James peeking out his head. (laughs) Arising from faith, a believer obeys. Not to be saved, but because they are saved, their good tree, because of Christ, bears fruit. Because their heart is beating, they go and live like someone who's alive. So rising from faith in Christ and Him alone, we are slaves of righteousness. Romans 6, 18. And that is getting at what James is saying here in these verses. Paul is saying it's by faith alone to address legalism. And James is saying faith is never alone to address antinomianism. Hence, Abraham displayed that he was a slave of righteousness. He evidenced his justification by his works. Fruit, good tree, good fruit. And so without flinching, we say anyone and everyone who looks to Christ and Him alone by faith, they are saved. They are declared justified before God, declared righteous by God. Yet, if that is real, their justification will be shown to be real by their works. A good tree where will bear good fruit. Or as Jesus said with the sowers, they received the word and they went out and bore fruit from that. So in a real sense, as James says here in verse 24, a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And we can read that. I hope you can read that now without contradiction, because real faith produces real works. So in view of this, consider the way your faith works or doesn't. So James, he is uncovering the deception that is rampant today. The deception of sort of easy believism, which is what I've been referencing with altar call and everything else. Many are living that out. Many parents and families are banking on something that they have no reason to say at all based on what James is saying here. Because he is saying, you're not a believer unless you're tree bears good fruit. That's what he's saying. Now at this point you might be saying, oh, this is just, this is pretty detailed, Pastor. I mean, this is just a bunch of semantics. You know, this is just too much for me. I don't like thinking this hard on a Sunday. Well, by the grace of God, friend, may that not be. This is about the truth. This is more important 
than anything you've learned in any college ever. You understand that? It's more important than your job and all the things that you know to do your job. This has internal implications for you and for everyone. That's why they always call theology the queen of the sciences. Because because of that, it is to form everything else. And yet we go and live like it's not to inform everything else. The devastating effect of antinomianism on every sphere of almost everything we do as Christians today. Of how we talk about people. Real faith, it's not just a big joke. Yet many treat it that way in the droves today. And so God's word this morning is pointing us to a problem at the root of the tree. A barren Christianity points to this problem. A barren church points to this problem. A profession that means nothing and does nothing. It's this. It's all fluff. It's empty. It's useless. James is calling us out, and he is calling us away from that. And he's saying, friends, believers, do not be fooled by this. That is not Christianity. And so rather, by faith, we're to live out the word joyfully. We're to live out the word joyfully. When you come to the word of God, when you hear the words of Christ, we, yes, admit it, we struggle. <laughs> but that's part of what your heart, a heart beating looks like. Is someone who's not okay with anger in their heart. Who's not okay with lust in their heart. Who's not okay with a life that they don't lay down as Christ laid down their life for them. I'm wrestling to become like Jesus Christ. Wrestling that his word would be in my life, in my mind, in my heart. And so we don't spit at the words of a living God, but we receive them as the words of our master. If you love him, you will keep his commandments. And we say, yes. Yes. And so we gladly receive them, do them, and come out, and they come out of our lives. The famous Protestant reformer, Martin Luther, he said it well of this living faith. He said, oh, it is a living, busy, active, mighty thing, this faith. It is impossible for it not to be doing good things incessantly. It does not ask whether good works are to be done, But before the question is asked, it already has done this. And it is constantly doing them. Whoever does not do such works, however, is an unbeliever. He gropes and looks around for faith in good works, but knows neither what faith is nor what good works are. Yet he talks and talks with many words about faith and good works. Friends, that's not to be us. We are to take up the word and live out the word joyfully. How can I 
rather than what should I not do to not obey this passage? Or how, what can I do in such a way that I can walk around it without actually doing it? Live out the word joyfully, and then by faith we're to live out the word sacrificially. We humbly live according to the example of our master. And this is exactly, like I said, this is everywhere in the New Testament. This is exactly what Jesus expects you to do. One place, just reference it and you'll know it, the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, if you're part of my kingdom, this is what you're going to look like. If you know Jesus Christ, if you know me, this is what you're going to look like. This is what my church is going to look like. You're going to go and live. You're going to be salt and light in the world. You're going to love your enemies. You're going to pray. You're going to fast. You're going to serve God, not money. You're going to seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. You're going to treat others as you yourself would like to be treated. Whose tree bears good fruit? Because why? End of Sermon on the Mount. Their house is built on the rock of Jesus Christ and not on the sand. That's James. And so we are called to take up this word, brothers and sisters, this morning. And so to make it absolutely clear That was the long part. Now, the shorter example here. So to make it absolutely clear, he gives this one last example, and he gives the example of Rahab. Of Rahab. Now, this is a surprising example. I don't know if many of us would have thought of that one, but he does. And it's interesting all the more because Rahab was a foreigner, right? I mean, she was a Gentile, like a prostitute. I think James is just pointing at what Paul has been pointing at, what the grace of God does for anyone who looks to Christ by faith. And so he writes... That in the same way she displayed, the same way as Abraham, she displayed her faith by her works also. So how did she do that? Well, as we see in Joshua chapter 2, where she, this is recorded for us, she risked her life by receiving the spies of Israel, and she sent them out safely. And so it was then that her real faith told the spies in Joshua chapter 2, verse 9, onward, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the Lord melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came up out of Egypt. And what you did to the two kings, the Amorites, and who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God. 
in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. Incredible. This woman, God would use her and she's there in Matthew chapter one, part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. grace. So in view of her faith, because that's what she had, that's what she just told them, he is God. View of her faith that works, her obedience of faith. What can we learn from Rahab? We're to live out the word, risking to the glory of God also. Do you think that she maybe risked a little bit? (laughs) The people who are going to come and destroy all of her people, she hid them. Do you think that's risking? Yeah. (laughs) We're at a point in our day where following Christ may well mean risking more than we have in the past. We have come comfortably to our churches and sat in the pews without fear, it might actually cost you something for knowing Jesus Christ. Could it be that the Lord is calling us, the Church of America, out of our stupor and out of our workless faith to a faith that unashamedly works to the glory of God, going and telling and obeying the Great Commission everywhere. You might well one day lose your job for following and sharing Christ. Are you okay with that? You know, Dennis prayed a moment ago for persecuted believers. They are losing their jobs for following Jesus Christ. Well, friends, we're not called to hide away in the shadows. But wisely, humbly, by faith, we're to live out our faith, sharing Christ as those who are unashamed of the gospel of God. Are you unashamed of this gospel? Would you risk like Rahab risked here? Hence, we see the concluding verse here, summing up, All that James has said, for as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Friends, you might conveniently ignore these verses now if you like, but know this, it will all be clear before God in the end. You can hide from them, you can excuse yourself all you like, but God knows. May you know right now that your faith is not dead, but it's alive 
your heart is beating and you are living and you are on fire for the kingdom of Christ. All, not so you can gain heaven, but all by the grace of God found in Christ Jesus in Him alone. Another of the reformers said it well, it is by faith alone, or it is faith alone that justifies, but faith that justifies can never be alone. So may your faith be real, and let your real faith abound, not in mere words, but in real works. Let's pray. Father, we come this morning in view of your inspired, inerrant, sufficient, authoritative, infallible word. And we receive it. We take it up without contradictions. We see it fully from the whole scope of your word. And so may we indeed awake from our stupor that we no longer be, as they said of America and after Pearl Harbor, a sleeping giant. May we stop sleeping and may we arise and abound to the glory of God by faith, by the power of the Spirit of God to do all you call us to do. Not because we can, but because by the fruit of the Spirit, you can. And so we pray. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.